Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM, 87.6, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning, and you are with Lyle and... Mon! It's pretty tired, actually, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Why are you tired, Mon? Oh, because I moved house it yesterday. It was a cool night last night. You should have slept well. Yeah, nah, I didn't... Well, I mean, I was zonked out, like in that sort of like absolutely exhausted, shattered, my feet hurt, just... Kind of am dead, <laughs> but yeah, I moved house yesterday. I moved house from start to finish. So Mon is homeless. Mon, yeah, Mon is perpetually Again. homeless. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to jump straight into my uh, gratitude and just say right now that I am so grateful for all the friends who turned up yesterday to help us move house. You know, my, my I remember my dad telling me when I was younger that you know who your true friends are when you move house, and whoever shows up, that's who your solid gold friends are. So yeah, I'm very grateful for them and their help because you know. Moving house is one of the three, apparently one of the three most stressful things to happen in uh, a person's life. So moving, uh, death, a death, and divorce. There yeah, you go. Top three. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I'm thankful no we had fun. some cool weather yesterday so that we could get some things done out of the heat that have sort of been waiting to be done for a while, and uh, now they are done. Yeah, because you can't get them done in the morning anymore before the heat hits. No, I used to always get all of my uh, summer stuff done. I, you, you put your eight hours in before the heat hits, hits mm-hmm. in and then you'd have the afternoon off. Not so anymore. By the time you get home from radio, it's like midday and, and it's time for the, and the heat is on. Time for siesta. Did you, did you see the electrical storm happening? I heard it. Yeah. I lay in bed and listened to it. It was right, up, right above our roof. Yeah, actually uh, around the country there's going to be quite a few number of uh, electrical storms and... and Bring yeah. them on. Yeah, very scary stuff. We have a great show coming up for you today. Uh, we have uh, an interview with um, Nikki, who is a survivor of postnatal um, depression. Psychosis. Yeah, so psychosis and depression, which was something I didn't realize existed. Oh, by the way, this is, of course, the uh, the um, delayed broadcast introduction. Yeah, just in case. Because so, yeah, yeah, we know all this because we've already done, done it. Already done the show. So if you'd like to jump across to the live show, uh, you can do so on our website. It's faithfm.com.au, or you can download the tune in app. Uh, just get the free version of it. Don't pay for it. Uh, search for Faith FM Australia. Add us to your favorites and uh, and listen to us every day online. That way you can plug that thing in, can't you? I want to talk about toxic masculinity and the approaches of Gillette versus Egard. Oh, yes. And two different approaches to the same problem, mm-hmm. same motivation, and two vastly different responses. Yeah, and I try One positive, and, one negative. And I try and back Lyle into a corner again. Yeah. <laughs> she had me there for a minute. I did. Yeah. Like, I almost got him. Almost got him this morning. That? Almost got him. But yeah, this morning I was driving into, uh, into work. I could see a storm, like an electrical storm, just flashing. It was amazing. He will take you by the hand, lead you to that promised land. Can't you hear the blessed Savior calling to you strayed from the fold and there's trouble in your soul Can't you hear the blessed Savior calling you? When your soul is lost in sin and you're at your journey's end Can't you hear the blessed Savior calling you? Calling you Calling you Calling you Can't you hear the blessed Savior calling you? Save you. 
calling you. That was the Love of Lights with Calling You here on Faith FM. And Mon, as we kick off the week, what are we starting with? An easy one or a hard one in our quiz? Hard one. Ooh. Yes. Yes, very hard. So Mon, well, has, Mon has been to the gym already. Her brain is in gear, so she expects everybody else's brain to be in gear. I always fell asleep on the gym equipment, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Cycling away and almost fell off. Okay, so I am going to give you a hard one. But it isn't that hard if you've been paying attention recently to our Bible studies. So, yeah, our, our on-air encounter with gods, if you've been paying attention, you should know this one. Now, forgive me because there are two names in this clue, which I'm about to butcher. But this is a what book am I quiz. And the first clue is this. Aphia and Archippus are two of the three people to whom this book is addressed. Aphius and Archippus. Not quite sure how to pronounce that, but yeah, there you go. If you know who that is, oh, Lyle's looking confused. Maybe you should have gone to the gym this morning. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have done. Maybe I should have done. No, nope, don't have that one. Give me a call if you know the answer. The number of course right there. is 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843. You can text your answer, 0491-064-669. If you can get it before Lyle, I will send you two prizes. And, of course, we take answers through social media as well. I think last week a couple of people won through uh, messaging us through Facebook. So, yeah, feel free to contact us on Facebook. Lyle... Mm. I know the last few shows, I was like trying to back you into a corner. <laughs> Here it comes. I'm not done. Mon is going to back, try and back me into a corner once again. I'm not done with that yet. So. <laughs> Mon? Mon? Yes. Bring it. Uh, <laughs> okay, so last week I, uh, <clears throat> I told a good news story about a beer company that is doing a promotion where they're... Um, they're sort of, you know, apologizing to students for all the hangovers they have drinking their alcohol. And so students are eligible to send in videos um, uh, saying, I don't know how great beer is or something. And then uh, if they win, they get uh, a share. And I think like $1.5 million that was supposed to, no, $10 million was $10 million to go towards paying off their student debt. Um, $10 million. $10 million. They started off... They did it, oh, yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. been divided up between... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, divided up. Once yeah, yeah. I don't know any course that would cost $10 million. <laughs> That's a very expensive <laughs> university course. Um, and uh, yeah, we, you and I had so a basically they Basically, they spend money to um, offset. So, you get given money to offset your bad grades. <laughs> Is that how it, yeah, I suppose so. But you can imagine as a publicity stunt, it would work really well. Can you imagine word getting out around, I mean, among students that there's a beer company that's chipping in to pay off your student debt? Like you'd, you'd suddenly be very aware of that company and its products, wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so we had a bit of a discussion. We are talking about it here. It has worked. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then, you know, lowering debt is almost always a good thing. Mm-hmm. So we were sort of debating whether or not it was a, a positive or a negative thing. I've got another story that's in the same vein. Cool. <laughs> so a Buddhist poker player has donated all of his $600,000 winnings to charity. Mm-hmm. So he readily I think that admits. Is an excellent use of ill gotten gain. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely ill gotten. And the funny thing is, in this case, I mean, in the case with the students and the alcohol, 
I'm sure they think that alcohol is fine. But in this case, our Buddhist poker player, gambling player, he is well aware. In fact, he says um, he's he knows that gambling is generally at odds with religion, uh, but he's trying to make up for his love of poker by donating all of his winnings to charity. So this guy's name is Scott Wellenbach. And uh, he recently came in third place at the Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure Tournament in the Bahamas. Never heard of that. And uh, he earned himself a whopping $671,240, so over half a mil. And uh, instead of keeping the cash, he's going to be donating it to charities such as Oxfam and Doctors Without Borders. So this is a, this is a Canadian fella. And, uh, and he, he fell in love with poker about nine years ago. And he saw, you can, when you sort of read what he says, you sort of sense that he has an internal struggle. He knows it's not something that he should be doing, but he loves it, so he keeps doing it. Uh, in fact, <laughs> this is so funny, the way he tries to ex- excuse it. He says that his dis- disciplinary practices, um, they often vary during the week, right? So usually he'll meditate for an hour every day, a very Buddhist thing to do. When he's in a tournament, he meditates even longer, um, and he believes that, that the poker game offers some key insights on religious teachings. So he says, poker gives you a tremendous opportunity to work with the heavens and hells of your mind. You're winning and losing every minute and a half. And so some sense of how your hopes and fears go up and down with the passing circumstance of the world is brought to fore at the poker table. Yeah. In other words, the whole world is just chance. <laughs> yeah. Fate rules everything. So what do you think about this, Lyle? Oh, I think, I think that... Um, if you have a bunch of ill-gotten gain, then this is a good way of disposing of it. Um, but you shouldn't have that ill-gotten... The, the, the fact that it is ill-gotten. There's the whole point right there. This is ill-gotten gain. You shouldn't have it? Yeah, shouldn't go there. Because, you know, promoting promoting gambling is like promoting alcohol or promoting um, ice or any other drug that destroys enormous amounts of people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, this is one of the most destructive things that there is on the planet and you can have great fun playing lots of different games and you can, you know, exercise that competitive spirit in so many different ways without getting involved in something that is an addiction, a, a soul-destroying addiction. Okay, but Lyle, let's say that you, uh, you met this fella, Scott Wellenbach, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you said to him, like, dude, you shouldn't be gambling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a life-ruining, soul-destroying, community-ruining uh, habit. And he turns around and says, to you, yeah, but I've donated over half a million dollars to charity. What have you done? No. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is where one backs me to the corner. Okay. I you like that corner now. It's like this. Mm-hmm. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's what the Bible says. God is not short on money. God calls us to give our money not because he needs it because but because we need to do so so the world is not going to run out of money and charity is not going to run out of money because god is not able to provide money um, there are much better ways of these charities being funded than through poker playing it's completely unnecessary to um, play poker to fund charities do you really think scott wellenbach would have been able to raise over half a mil for charity if you hadn't done it through poker? That's not my point. My point is that God is able to raise that money. Okay. And that if those charities need that and people are praying for it and God sees the necessity for it, then there's no problem. So we should never use any negative thing to excuse good works, really? No. So you don't believe the means justify the ends? 
No, that's a, that's a that's a Jesuit doctrine. Oh, it is. It justifies the means. <laughs> Give us a call. That was where that, that's where that originated from. Oh, does it really? Yeah, absolutely. Man, I used to it's say foundational that, doctrine. I used to say that all the time when I was a kid in um, school. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. <laughs> I've used that excuse so many times. Yeah, yeah. Give us a call if you want to debate Lyle on this. I'd love to hear someone take you on. <laughs> I am going to leave that one there before we get down to murky. Uh, and I do want to tell you something that I think that you're going to find really fascinating. Uh, so American fella has defied the impossible with the first ever solo trek across Antarctica. Ooh. Yeah, so 33-year-old Colin O'Brady. From one side to the other. Uh, yep. I, I'm just realizing this guy's younger than I am. That's really embarrassing. Anyway, yeah, so... Well, you and I are kind of starting to reach that uh, point where um, all the famous people are now younger than us. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? <laughs> it's such a horrible And I'm starting feeling. to reach that stage of life where politicians are now younger than me. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, goodness. Uh, so this is a, a lone man from Oregon, Colin O'Brady, um, just became the first unaided person to complete a solo trek across Antarctica. Um so extreme hikers have, have managed to cross the continent before, but they've always completed the feat with the assistance of dog teams or kites, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, propel them forward. A bit like kite surfing, but on the snow, which is really cool. And also with airdropped supplies. Uh, so this fella, however, he traveled and it's, uh, 930 miles. What's that in K's? 930-mile journey. Uh, in 54 days, he lugged his entire... 1,600 K's, thereabouts? Oh, that's really long. That's really long. Yeah, 1,600 days. A bit, bit less than 1,600, maybe 1,500. He days. did it in 54 days and he carried his entire load of gear, which was 375 pounds. What's that in kilos? Like half of that. Um, personally, he carried everything himself. This guy is fit. Yeah. So, uh, How many days? 54. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. He, um, he did have to be airlifted back to warmth immediately upon completion, um, but he... <laughs> they were waiting at the finish line, uh, and uh, and yeah, he. Man, if I was doing that, if I was doing that trek, I would definitely have somebody waiting there at the oh, finish yeah. line and be like, "Okay, I'm done. I'm finished. Yep, got that record. Get now, get me out of here." Yeah, and it's serious because even just three years ago, someone tried it and died um, doing the exact same thing. So yeah, really cool news uh, coming out of Antarctica of all places this morning. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled?
with Chelsea Moon and the Franz Brothers with How Firm A Foundation here on Faith FM. Mon, hit us with another clue for this quiz. Okay, clue number two. Only two books of the Bible have fewer words than this Bible. So essentially it's the third shortest book of the Bible. Ew. Give us a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM. Do you know the answer yet, Lyle? I know the Testament. But I knew that in the last clue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well. No. Lyle still doesn't know the answer. Give us a call. Third Tell us and we'll send you book. two prizes. Yeah. Ooh, the third, third shortest book of the Bible. He's always going to have a stab at it. He's writing down an answer. And he is correct. Ah, yeah, good, there you good go. guess, Lyle. There you go. All right. So the moral of the story is go with your gut, Mon. Go with your gut. Yeah. Uh-huh. He is often right. Okay, so uh, recently, uh, Dr. Kevin Donnelly, who is a senior research fellow at the Australian Catholic University and author of um, How Political Correctness is, is Destroying Education. Oh. Yeah, he wrote a very interesting piece in the uh, Daily Telegraph um, looking at uh, the problem of the man drought in education. Oh, wow. So when you look at schools and, and the whole education system, there are very, very few men who are taking up um, education or teaching as a profession. And I thought that had more to do with just that women are more nurturing. Well, that may have something to do with it. Okay, go on. However, it is a, um, it's an environment where, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's created a vicious circle where more and more and more Men are disappearing from the classrooms, and so that is sad because we desperately need male role models. We we really do because so many kids are growing up without dads, are growing up without dads, and the male teachers are usually the first stand-in, and then we're not even having that. And so what you get is a vicious cycle where the only influence that boys ever get is feminine influence. They're just not getting yeah. any male role models, they're not getting any male influence in their lives, and they're not actually learning how. To be men. Or they're getting these like souped up versions on TV, which aren't going to do them any favours either. Yeah. 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 Which aren't realistic. So he identifies a number of different problems um, in the uh, education system that is uh, driving this. But one of the big ones uh, that he looks at is the feminization of curriculum. Oh really? Yeah, and of course How this is a, what's it? it's a natural it's a natural process where you get a majority of teachers who are women 
um, then obviously you're going to have a feminization of curriculum. It's just going to be a natural process. Um, and that's going to then result when you've got a majority of women who are teachers, you're going to end up also in the same cycle. You have a majority of teachers who are teaching teachers are women. And so it, uh, he's, he's, he has, you know, through his research has identified a very strong trend in the feminization of curriculum. So now not only do you have uh, young boys and men growing up without male role models in their lives, but they are growing up in an environment where there is uh, very little, uh, where, where the curriculum um, is, you know. Um, What's an example of a female sort of feministic okay, curriculum? So, so just as an example here, well, he particularly focuses on the social sciences where men are stereotyped as uh, sexist, violent, misogynist, and teachers are told to teach that masculinity is a social construct without any positive qualities. And wow. this has been driven by, um, you know, curriculums like your safe school curriculum, your respect for relationships curriculum, etc. So, th- so masculinity is actually a social construct. It's not. There's nothing biological about it. Is what they are I teaching. Th- I think there's an element of truth to that, but I don't agree with that in, as a whole. Yeah, the the uh, if you look at the hormones that you know that predominate in men versus the hormones that predominate in women, Absolutely. you know, it's definitely going to make men more competitive and more uh, aggressive. And if you channel that competitiveness and that aggressiveness, you know, in the direction that it should be, uh, then it becomes a great thing, and it and it, it provides an environment in which men can um, excel. Mm-hmm. And history has proven that over and over and over again. However, you always get the few bad eggs that flavour it for everybody else, mm. and so then men become stereotyped. And when you've got, you know, this, this uh, predominance of, you know, um, female teachers and boys without fathers, it, it creates that kind of environment. But even in, in – in, he, he brings out that even in curriculums like mathematics, for instance, um, where he states in subjects like mathematics where boys used to excel, instead of focusing on numbers, equations, and algorithms in order to positively discriminate in favor of girls, the focus is now on reading and written work. Um, areas that be- that better suit girls compared to boys. He says, whereas the focus on English teaching was once about grammar, punctuation, spelling, clear thinking, passing a sentence and writing sound essay, the emphasis now on feelings and emotions and creative writing, and boys are expected to be in touch with their feminine side. So these are some interesting observations. This is not the era that I grew up in, so I'm not familiar with what he's talking about, and maybe if you are a teacher or a student, then you can um, yeah, give us a call now, 1-800-324, and pass your comments on what, uh, what Dr. Kevin Donnelly is pointing out here. But it is a worrying trend that I see even coming through in um, the church environment. Uh, for instance, in the church environment, we have had for years, we've had two things. You know, for decades, we've had two things. We've had women's ministries. Mm-hmm. Got nothing against women's ministries. Go for it. Go hard. But no men's ministries in a church which has a 60-40 gender split. Yes. So the problem within Christianity, and this is the only religion that has this problem, the problem within Christianity, and it's not because men are less spiritual, because other religions have a 50-50 split, but Christianity has a 60-40 split in favor of women. And one of the things that I think that has, and I'm just going to throw this out there as my opinion, that has been one of the driving forces behind this, is um, 
that Christianity being very a, a very relational religion has made it politically incorrect for men to have an intellectual connection with God. Men who have an intellectual connection with God and just revel in, you know, studying deep things of the Bible and finding out minutiae and all of, you know, the the you know, theology and all that kind of thing are seen as being people who have no relationship, no connection with God just because their connection is different from what is expected in a relational uh, environment. Yeah, it's considered to be like no emotion and totally transactional, and, which yeah. is not true, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I, this is what just one of the uh, um, one of the things that I see coming out. And it's interesting to watch how this plays out in society. You know, we've had all of this um, debate over the Gillette ad, mm-hmm. um, which I found you know most interesting to follow. I watched the ad myself, and and uh, at an emotional level, it made me feel uncomfortable, particularly for guys with beards. Mm-hmm. Thought a bit sorry for you guys. <laughs> um, I did feel stereotyped. Yeah. And this is just a reaction. It is, you know, because I think that the motives behind the ad were fantastic. You know, we really want to um, discourage men from being, you know, just pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do need to recognize that this is a people person, this, a people problem. This is a person problem. This is a problem of humanity. The Bible says that, you know, humans are naturally evil without the influence of God. Um, in contrast to that, um, the watch company eGuard uh, a few days ago put out their ad titled "What Is a Man," um, and uh, well, it's not so much an ad, but just a, a statement, really, bringing out some rather confronting statistics. Ninety-three percent of workplace fatalities are men. Ninety percent, ninety-seven percent of war fatalities are men. Seventy-nine percent of homicide victims are men. Fifty percent of uh, men who have no visitation rights with their children still provide for their children. 80% of all suicide victims are men. 75% of homeless people are men, uh, which has received a 64 to 1 uh, positive rating on YouTube. And it's actually quite a moving piece when you uh, when when you watch the ad. I was it's um, very I got very emotional. Yeah, and you know it's interesting to note that if any of those statistics were reversed, it was women who were experiencing that high homelessness or homicide. People would be up in arms about it. This is so true. They would they would just be beside themselves. And that up in armsness would be driven by men because men naturally care. For women, Check, yeah, that's 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 what we were. That's it's in our DNA. It's in our biology. That's the way that we were created. Um, that is part of you know. That is that. That's why men do all of these kind of things because as men, we don't want to see women placing themselves in you know in, in places, these places of in, danger, danger yeah. and so forth. And it's interesting that the overwhelmingly positive response for the egard ad, you know, and both of them are coming from the same perspective. Both of them are trying to encourage men to be better men. Mm-hmm. Both got the same motivation. One has a very negative response. It's a negative ad. The other has a very positive response, um, and particularly from women. Yeah, I love like 99% it. 99% of women love the EGARD ad um, and, uh, and are really supportive of it. It really shows, because I found it really showed the sacrifice that men make for, for, our, you know, for our species, for our race. Yeah, and we need to not try and you know, deny mm. biology. Absolutely. You know, men get testosterone, women get estrogen, and it 
creates two different creatures. You know, men are going to be uh, masculine. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to be competitive, all of those kind of things. And women are going to be more nurturing. And that is how balance is created in our world. Well, we're going to play a song now. It's actually considered to be one of the most masculine hymns, kind of praise songs. And it's supposed to be one that men apparently identify with the most for connecting with God. So that's coming up now. This is Graham Kendrick with Meekness and Majesty and Joy.
Welcome back. You are listening to Faith FM. I'm about to hit you with the third clue of our What Book Am I quiz. This is a pretty hard one. Lyle's only just managed to figure it out. So our, qu- our quiz prize is still going begging. Give us a call if you know the answer. 1-800-FAITH-FM is our number. But here we go. The third clue, which is a quote. Quote, if he has done you wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Mm, there you go. If you know the answer to that one, you know what our number is, one eight hundred three two four eight four three. 843 Okay, so joining us on the phone today is uh, Nikki Jeffrey, who has uh, recently put out a book called Encouraging Mums with Hope. Nikki, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lyle. Now, Nikki, I'm just wondering, um, yeah, why don't you give us a bit of a background to this book right here that, that you've written. How did you come to write this book and what are the circumstances behind it? Because I understand you've been through a quite a journey um, I have. coming to this point. Why don't, why don't you share that with us? Yeah, so it wasn't a journey I wanted to take. I don't think any new mother wants to end up with postnatal depression, but that's what happened to me. I actually moved towns when I had my first baby, and he was six weeks old. So my husband and I moved to a new place where we didn't know anybody, and my husband got into a truck and started driving. That was what job he was doing at the time. So... I hadn't realized that I wasn't going to cope, of course, and so four weeks later, I was in postnatal depression. I was crying in front of a new doctor, and she knew what was happening, and she said, well, we need to get you to a psychologist and get you on some antidepressants, and I think a big part for me of the depression was that um, there was a biological component, but there was also a lot of grief I was facing, just the fact that I'd done this big move with a new baby and just not having supports around me to start that journey. So, yeah, I think it just was a really difficult time that I hadn't anticipated, and and there I was with postnatal depression. Was this your first child? Yeah, this was my first baby, although I had had a miscarriage before this baby, and and I think sometimes we probably don't process that grief very well either. And and then, you know, we fell pregnant with our baby not long after that miscarriage. So, yeah, I think there was a lot of stuff there that I needed to end up working through. Yeah, and there's, really, there's a lot involved in, you know, moving house, moving location. Now, my co-host here this morning, Mon, uh, moved house yesterday and, and was mentioning, I think it's one of the third most... Stressful st- events that a person can go through along with divorce and death. I think I might actually be suffering from some post-moving depression myself this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it isn't easy, is it? No, it's, and, it's very and, stressful. I guess when you combine that with, um, you know, moving to a place where you don't know people and you don't have a social um, network, then it can uh, exacerbate this. And, and now you mentioned that there is a, uh, a biological side to this as well. As, um, what's, the, what's the background behind that? Well, it's interesting because my father's mother suffered, suffered a lot from um, mental illness and hers came on. She'd had three children and then she had twins, so five children altogether. And this was back in 1960. She ended up having um, what was very serious. It was called postnatal psychosis where she had to go to the hospital and spend like about six weeks in the mental health ward. Um, and that actually ended up happening to me after my second baby was born. He was nearly five months old and I ended up in the mental health ward and I had not only had postnatal psychosis, uh, sorry, depression, but then it had become psychosis and 
So, yeah, there was this biological component that often it can run in families a bit and it's sort of just this predisposition you have towards struggling with your mental health. Okay, I didn't know that postnatal psychosis even was a thing. I've never heard of it until you just mentioned it now. Do you find that there's a lot of stigma attached to this particular kind of depression and psychosis because people sort of tend to think, well, you've just had a baby. You should be happier than you've ever been in your life. This is such a joyous occasion. Is that like the attitude that people have towards like this kind of depression? Yeah, I think it is because also psychosis is very rare. There's only one or two women in every 1,000 that will end up with psychosis. And I think it's just something that's going on with your hormones and and often it is like this biological component and, and it's totally treatable and you can recover really well, but you will need to go to the hospital because when this happens to women, it's a medical emergency But I think, yeah, in society, there's definitely a stigma associated with any form of mental illness. And we're just working so hard now to break down those stigmas and organizations like PANDA, which is Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Awareness, they're working really hard to raise awareness of not just depression, but also psychosis. Do you find that um, there's still an attitude of, you know, with postnatal depression, like, okay, you've just had a kid, you've got postnatal depression, just, um, you know, just deal with it, this will pass. Does that, does that attitude still exist out in the community? Yeah, I think if people have never experienced a day of depression, like if you just have one day of depression in your life, you'll suddenly start to understand how people feel when this goes on for weeks or months or years, that It's just such an awful feeling. It really does feel like you just tripped over and fell into this deep, dark hole and you don't know how you're going to get out of that hole. And often you do need people to sort of throw a rope down. Sometimes you need people to come down into the trench with you and help you get out a step at a time. You need people to walk the journey with you and often it is people who've been through it that have that understanding and that empathy. Mm. You mentioned you mentioned that um, with your first child that you just moved to a different part of the country. You had no, you know, social network, any of that kind of thing. Um, you know, your husband's out working um, full time with truck driving and so forth, and so you're really feeling quite isolated. With your second child, I would imagine that that would be very different circumstances. By the time your second child comes, you would have built up a social network and. Um, had more support would that be true or not that was definitely true but I think what was also true for me was because my sons were born 23 months apart I hadn't fully recovered from that first case of postnatal depression when I fell pregnant with the second son and and also um, when you're pregnant sometimes you have all these feel-good hormones and so you actually cope pretty well in pregnancy but then it was again that hormonal issue after he was born and even though I had a supportive lot of neighbours around me, new friends, and I had a great church and support, I think that's where you've got to acknowledge that biological component that perhaps if I had have lived even back where my family lived, you know, I may still have ended up with psychosis because for my grandma, she never moved. She was living on a farm, had all her family supports around her, and in spite of that, she still had psychosis. So... It's interesting, isn't it? So so when you say you have these like positive hormones when you're pregnant, it's almost like you're coming down off a high and like sometimes you get plummeted even lower than before when you started. Is, is that like an accurate depiction of how it can happen? 
Yeah, I think it's a slide that you don't realise. Like I didn't realise I was going to slide back down into depression after my second son was born. And also with psychosis, sometimes you have a little bit of mania. You do end up on this high before this big crash. So that did happen for me. I thought I was coping quite well. Um, but what happened for me, and this was a, a feature of depression as well, was that I was one of those people that couldn't sleep. So I'd have totally sleepless nights and then I'd have to be functioning in the daytime to look after myself and my baby. So a lot of the time when people have psychosis, they they just haven't slept and your mind really doesn't function well when you don't sleep. Now, you mentioned before that um, having someone get in the trenches with you really helps and you're mentioning now that sleep really helps. Like I'm a a bit of like a fix-it personality. So like what are some other you know, things that you, you can do or that you've done that, I don't know, can help cure it or fix it or like that, that you can personally do if you're suffering from personal depression or psychosis or that you can do for someone who, like if you know someone who has it? Yeah, there's a lot of things that you can do. I think one of the best things I ended up doing, and it wasn't straight away, it was like a couple of years later, but going to a doctor that specializes in nutrient therapy because they can advise you oh, on what kind of foods to eat like to because food affects your mood and also they can prescribe you with the right supplements because often when women have postnatal depression it's because they have what's called copper overload so you need to lower your copper in your diet um, and also you need to raise your zinc levels and that's often by taking a zinc supplement and there's lots of other supplements that can help. And there's also exercise and learning how to relax and meditate. Um, and, yeah, I guess just accepting help from people. If somebody's willing to bring you a meal or do a load of washing for you or even let you go and take a walk while they look after your children, you know, those things all help and it's all part of a big picture. We need to look at women holistically and when I wrote my book, I wrote it in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. So we can address all those areas because that's what we need to be a balanced woman. Mm. Now, you mentioned that, um, you know, obviously with your first child, you've just moved to a new area. Um, and I'm imagining, and you can correct me on all this, you're, 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 you're fitting into a new church congregation um, how important is it to be part of a church congregation when you're going through something like this? And even as a, like a new member, were you still getting support from your uh, your new congregation? Well, one of the best things that happened for me with my new church is that because I fell into depression so quickly, there was a lady there who had been through two cases of postnatal depression and she'd had medication at one point in her life and she was studying to be a naturopath. So she was just the perfect person for me to meet because I knew she understood where I was at and how I felt. And, and what she did straight away was she rang a lot of her friends through the church and even outside of the church and said, you know, we need to bring meals to Nikki. So they got this meal roster happening for me where they brought meals to me, you know, for a week or two. And she was somebody that used to meet with me once a week and just, you know, sometimes try and take me out of the house. She'd say, you know, let's get your baby and let's go. Let's go down to the beach. And and so she was just wonderful. And I think yeah. that's what the church needs to do. Like it's spiritual help, but it's also practical. You need the practical side of things. And 
I used to go to church every Sunday morning and I'd just be crying a lot. Like there was a lot of tears in church and a lot of prayer for me. And it can be just week after week and month after month that you're just in this very fragile place. But the fact that you can go to church and and you can actually be ministered to there and and even outside of church, it's it's very powerful and that's what I think the church exists to do. We're there mm. to help people. Yeah, Praise the Lord for church family. Like I've just, said it once, I've said it a thousand times, one of the best things about being a Christian is the church family God blesses you with. Yeah, and I'm yeah. just I'm just sitting here listening to that story and thinking, you know, my my heart just goes out. Really, it yeah. really goes out to all those women who suffer postnatal depression and don't have yes. that kind of support. support don't yeah. have a you know a church community that can give them that kind of support. And it and it sounds like, you know, you've walked into a brand new church community and just been loved and accepted and supported in a most remarkable way. And 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 really, your story there is a challenge to every church out there and every church member that is listening out there. Because you know, not every church is going to be that supportive. Yeah, I mean, it, and mm. people often are down on churches, but they don't seem to realize that when you walk into a church, it's like you walk into an instant support system. Like that's people are loving, and like like you said, not all churches are that perfect, but you know that that is what church is for. Um, Nick, I just want to have uh, another question there. You know, you mentioned you know weeks and months and and so forth. Like how how long? I know I know I know every case must be different. But how long like do do women spend um, suffering from depression before like they either come out of it or like it, it gets fixed or like what's like a time frame we're looking at? Okay, so for myself, I think my time frame. I felt like I was quite sick for probably about three years, and it was because for me, depression and anxiety was all about the postnatal period and I know for other women they might have faced it as they were younger you know people may have already had clinical depression before they became a mum but for me I'd never had any diagnosis any clinical thing happen but I know that growing up I was a bit anxious like I probably had some kind of undiagnosed anxiety that never got out of hand so much that I would need you know to see a doctor about it but yeah, about three years, pretty sick, and on medication for five and a half years. So, the, but the sooner you identify, the sooner you can start doing something about it, right? Yeah, I think you sort of sometimes need people around you to see as well. Like I definitely knew I was sick, you know, coming to the new town and four weeks later not being able to sleep and having my thoughts racing. I knew something was wrong, but. Yeah, like with the psychosis, I didn't know I was slipping into that and I didn't even know what that was until I had it. So sometimes you just need your family and friends around you to notice the differences in you because often it takes this big journey to before we get insight into our condition. And once you have that insight, it really helps. You've got that understanding of what you're going through and, and then you can really start to make progress. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Nikki. Can you just tell us again the name of your book and uh, we will post that up on our social media? Yeah, so my book is called Encouraging Mums with Hope, Light in the Darkness of Maternal Depression and people can buy it from Amazon or Kurong if they're interested. And Nikki, um, I noticed you also do some speaking as well. If somebody wanted to get in contact with you to have you come and speak um, on this on this subject. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would love to. Um, so my website is nickyjeffrey.com. It's spelled N-I-C-K-I-J-E-F-F-E-R-Y. So, yeah, feel free to contact me on that. That would be great. No worries. We'll post that up on our social media. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Nikki. We're going to have to move on right now. Um, and this is JJ Heller with Paving the Runway.
isn't enough for you, nothing's going to be enough for you. Because it's meant to be real. And real life stories have baggage. We know that Peter's a loose cannon. It's all about context. And he chose different personalities to express that because his personality is infinite. It's a love song written to us. When we're at our lowest points, we've got backup. Like a lot of the rational arguments for the existence of God, they tend to work better after you believe. 
Hi, this is Luke from oztabletalk.com.au. Please join myself and some of my closest friends as we explore our faith through conversation, Bible study, interviews, and more. You can find us online at oztabletalk.com.au. That's oz as in Australia, A-U-S, tabletalk.com.au. Looking forward to seeing you there. Bye. I'm so glad that's recorded because I want to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> Someone called it a care package there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. In joyful high and holy lays, my soul the grateful voice would raise. But who Lifting when I fall In life and death my 